And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonablest Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Not too much, Blake. How are you? I'm all right, man. You know. I'm convinced. Things are as they are. Uh, Things be what they be. It do be like that, though. <laughs> ah, it is what it is. As a song in the year 2020 by the Antlers goes, uh, they, they were beat to that phrasal uh, punch by professional athletes dating back to... I, who do you think was the first person who said it is what it is? Mm. Do you, or more, obviously, we don't know. But do you, do you think it happened in the context of pro sports or not? Yes, I would assume, like, my brain went to a P.J. Tucker-ish, like, no comment kind of thing. It's like, what is your contract status or your extension status? It is what it is. Yeah. That's what, like, when we, the first question we finally get to ask Kyle. Yeah. Will be, it is what it, it, is, what it is. Uh, now I'm going to have to think, I'm not that I will ask the first question necessarily, but I'll have to think of a question that could elicit that response. What do you think of the CBA that Bobby wrote that prevents you from being extension eligible right now? Exactly. Very good. And, Very and good. he'll say it is what it is. Yeah. Poorly written. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of poorly written, over at theathletic.com <laughs> slash Raptors, uh, you can check out all the stuff Eric and I have been doing um i would say training camp ish but we haven't really we're not physically there and it hasn't been the usual training camp content instead it's just been um you know there was a the off season was 13 days long uh so it was a lot of getting you ready for who's on this roster and now it's a lot of sorting through getting to know them um we had eric's giant profile on malachi flynn that was awesome and went up tuesday Uh, i did something on chris finch and the offense and what he as a new assistant coach could bring to the mix and then i assume you'll be reading that elsewhere since nick nurse basically read that article uh, on the air during his uh, media availability today uh, without saying as much and then uh eric you also have a an alex len thing coming as well yeah i had a nice chat with him about a whole topic of things growing up in uh, ukraine uh his bout with covid over uh the summer i guess um before the restart uh, he's a nice, nice dude. It was, it was nice to chat with him. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to check all that stuff out and you're not already a subscriber, theathletic.com slash we the six, that's the number six. And you can get, I believe there is a buy one, get one half or buy one, get one gift. One is the appropriate way to say that BOGO, you know, <laughs> uh, as it were. So Eric, like, Last week, yes. we did kind of a training camp tee-up. We obviously didn't get to everyone. Um, we talked about Nurse leaning toward uh, familiarity, especially early in the season. We talked about 
uh, the new schedule. We talked about potential closing lineups and our general vibes and the new uh, centers. There is no shortage of things we could talk about uh, still. We could talk about Kyle Lowry or OG Ananobi. But let's start at Pascal Siakam. Um, actually, let's start with the the one thing we probably have to check off, which is uh, the Raptors organization announced three positive COVID tests this week. They have not been updating, you know, who's at practice, who's not. It is a matter of privacy. Um, we don't know even if they were players or, or staff or what, although Nick Nurse did say that first day that they had a, a full complement of players, but it's possible. Yeah, that was the, the first day of team practices on on Sunday is when he said yes. that. So that was before, for everybody's uh, full knowledge, that was before the news of the three positive tests came out publicly on Monday. Yes. Um, okay, so that's, you know, we're not going to speculate on who or how or anything like that, uh, but other than to say that it's something that's being monitored, and if it was a player, we'll probably know uh, Saturday because the protocols suggest they would not be available for that preseason game, although it's possible that they're just not going to dress 20 guys anyway. Um, if you remember, today was supposed to be intra-squad scrimmage day, and I forgot to ask Nick about that, although we did get the detail that Paul Watson looked good after a shaky start to camp. Um, the other person that Nick Nurse was talking about looking good and I think has had the most interesting and uh, be- thoughtful... Before, sorry, before we get on to that, uh, just one final note on COVID-19. This is going to happen throughout the year, throughout the league. Um, I'm not trying to be negative or glib about it in any way but i mean we've seen how other sports have been affected by this that are similarly traveling uh throughout the continent uh that you know that this is not a bubble uh this is sort of what i wrote on uh on monday after the news there's you know they they can only do so much without when to keep everybody safe when they're not creating a bubble environment and i'm not advocating for that because doing that over eight months is a lot different than doing that over three months max uh but you should expect uh some or or many disruptions in terms of who's available some rescheduling of games i'm sure is going to happen that's part of the point of only releasing one half of the schedule at a time so uh it's it's sort of weird to be just saying, hey, three guys tested positive when nine months ago, one guy testing positive, or I guess two guys, shut down the league for four months. But this is where we are now, and uh, people have got to expect that this strange reality is going to be part of following NBA basketball in the 2020-21 season. Yeah. It sure is, and that's an unfortunate reality that we've tried to digest a lot. It's hard. In the last relaunch and in this relaunch, and if you're curious more about how this all works and what it's been like for the players, uh, on Wednesday night, the first two parts of a four-part documentary from uh, the Open Gym crew will air on TSN, and then I'm sure it'll make its way to the Raptors YouTube eventually. Uh, I've seen the first two episodes. It's really good. It takes you a really intimate look inside the bubble. Uh, this is obviously going to be a little different because, again, as Eric said, it's not bubbled. Uh, but if you want a little window into what that process is like and just how much has gone into keeping players safe and... Um, 
you know, logistically trying to provide basketball and why, you know, players on the Raptors and especially Masai Jiri feel um, that it's important because it can, you know, bring people together and, and things like that. Uh, definitely check that out. Check it out anyway, because it's Open Gym and Open Gym is always great. Uh, the Jeffs, Rocky and Landicho did a, an awesome job with it, as well as the rest of the Open Gym team. Now, Eric, uh, we're going to talk some basketball. Nick Nurse spoke about Pascal Siakam looking pretty good today and the ways in which Chris Finch and Nick Nurse are trying to get Siakam involved differently and maybe getting him attacking in different ways, a few more easy buckets, a few more uh, advantage attacks instead of just here's the ball, uh, create the advantage yourself. Siakam, I thought, has had probably the most insightful uh, media availability so far of anyone. That was not the one today where he had no time for us, it seemed like. But, uh, you know, very open, very vulnerable uh, with his earlier one about the mental side of what was going on in the bubble and and having not played for so long during a pandemic and just not having fun anymore. And by all accounts, he's getting that back now. Um, I guess that's taking us to... Just uh, a question of what are your expectations for Siakam this year? Or um, if you don't want to say expectations, you know, what constitutes a successful season for him in your eyes? Yeah, uh, and I don't know if I've landed quite on an answer about that. Uh, with the with with what he was saying about trying to find joy in the game again, I, I'm always, and this isn't to minimize what anybody was dealing with in the bubble because it was a completely unique you can't modify the word unique. It was a unique experience. Uh, it it was a unique period of ta- in time. But I always wonder with these things when guys say they weren't, you know, like he could see himself not having fun out there. Like if he were playing better, would he have seen himself having fun out there? Like it's sort of a chicken or egg situation. Uh, and without having been in his head, uh, it's difficult to know. Uh, but uh, saying that, like, he's not the only guy mentioning how weird of an atmosphere and how difficult of a time it was to uh, play basketball uh, back in July and August and September. I think, like, Paul George was most notable in saying that, but there were a bunch of guys who who had opened up, and and certainly the more we can be open and honest uh, about how things affect us and, and destigmatize all of that, the better it is for uh, a society, our society at whole, um, as a whole. Uh, when last we saw Siakam, obviously he was repeatedly trying to post up Jalen Brown. That was not great. Um, but uh, yeah. And Marcus Smart and Shemi. Yeah. Um, so what they said today, what Nick Nurse especially said today in terms of like, trying to get him moving without the ball a bit more in terms of to initiate where he gets the ball. That's promising. Uh, I think like the steps you want to see are more toward what he was doing in the beginning of the season, uh, operating as an initiator from all over the floor as opposed to just the post, which was where most of his stuff came from uh, in, in the bubble. Uh, especially, again, in that Boston series. Uh, I mean, the guy made second-team NBA last year, and I I don't want to say, like, we can argue whether he should have or not. Like, I think 
you had him on your third team, that's probably where I would have slotted mine. And and I don't think if he doesn't make an All-NBA team this year, it's necessarily a failure. I think what you want to see is continued growth. I want you, you want to see those, you know, that passing come up. That's something that Chris Finch, I believe, messaged in his availability was, you know, he's so good of a player in terms of attracting attention. You want to see him be able to utilize that in terms of making plays for other players. And, and that comes with reps. You, you want to see him, you know, not have those stretches where he basically becomes a non-threat from three-point range as he did in the Boston series. And uh, you want to see him be able to do a bit more with a jab step in the mid-range uh, and really find himself better driving lanes as opposed to being more predictable with that. Uh, so I think there's not a bar that we could, that I, I can draw. Uh, there isn't a line I can draw, but it's more of a holistic feeling and we'll know whether he's on the right track just by how individual games and sort of weeks-long stretches feel, not whether he's an all-star or all-NBA or any of that. Yeah, and I feel like part of it, too, and I talked about this, I went on William Liu's uh, Raptors Over Everything podcast on Wednesday over at Yahoo Sports, and I feel it's a little awkward to to run through this episode because I keep forgetting whether I talked about it on Will's <laughs> podcast or on our podcast last week. Um, in the case of Siakam, so much of what I'm looking for for him will be like qualitative like obviously if his usage increases or his efficiency increases or his percentage of shots at the rim or free throw rate or whatever all of those are signals um but i'm going to be looking more in like the qualitative in terms of you know if the first couple don't go is he staying aggressive is he anticipating what how the defense is going to react to him and, and is he just responding to that or is he trying to manipulate it that kind of thing that we we kind of charted DeMar DeRozan's growth over the years um you know going from strictly an ISO guy to a more pick and roll guy to a guy who can get five assists a game uh, and I think it's a similar process to what Siakam's going through now where um I don't doubt that he's gonna have good numbers I I thought he kind of slowly trailed off as last season went along and he still ended up with phenomenal numbers and the second team all NBA spot. So uh, I certainly don't think there's any risk that he's, uh, you know, not like a 20.7 rebound, three or four assists kind of guy. I think that's kind of his floor at this point. Um, but the growth beyond that, you know, if the, if those numbers jump to 24, 8 and 4, you know, I don't think that that tells yeah. me anything that I need to know. What mm -hmm. I need to know is how he's coming about those and how the offense is being structured around that and whether, you know, the, the games where it's arduous for him to get those numbers. Is that coming at a cost to the team or is he able to kind of shift into that? I don't have it tonight role. Here's how I'm going to use this attention uh, to get a, to get others going. Kind of and stuff. I think, um, I think not to put it all on one assistant coach, cause it's one assistant coach, but getting like a fresh pair of eyes and Chris Finch, who like is one of is recognized as one of the better offensive minds in this league. Like that's got to help because you know, as much as consistency and cohesion is important, like being able to look at a player who's been in the Raptors developmental system for four years and like so many of the staff members who work with the Raptors have like how many times have they seen Pascal Siakam gone through a game or gone through an individual workout or, or like developed a specific part of his game. I, I think fresh eyes can't hurt here and hopefully that's a, a you know 
coaches deal a lot more holistically than just one player. But since Pascal Siakam is such a big part of unlocking what the Raptors can be as a whole, I would think that a lot of Chris Finch's headspace is going toward how to better unlock what can, what Siakam is doing out there. Yeah, and, and again, like you said, not to put it all on Finch, but Finch is a guy who has worked with, uh, as Nick Nurse pointed out, and as my piece kind of went into on Wednesday, you know, he's worked with, he was brought into New Orleans to try to craft an offense around the Anthony Davis to Marcus Cousins pairing. And then obviously the, that those situations went as they did. And then it was, okay, can you build an offense around Zion and Brandon Ingram? And Finch talked about the similarities he sees with Ingram. And I see some similarities in what New Orleans ran for Zion uh, as well. And obviously Siakam's a different kind of guy, but just the way they got Zion some easy buckets, even though it's Zion and everyone's focus was on him, uh, I think is something they can replicate. And, you know, you could go back as far as the early James Harden Rockets years and just kind of how those offenses, and that was pre-D'Antoni where, you know, some of the knock on Kevin McHale was that he was a little more old school than the the Maury Harden kind of approach um, maybe necessitated and Finch was responsible with a lot of that offense and turning you know the quote-unquote Maury ball where you only shoot at the rim or the free throw line or the three-point line um, you know he executed a lot of that he was also uh, in Denver for Nikola Jokic's second year and you know I talked to a, a couple of Nuggets beat writers Adam Mars and, and TJ McBride and they both said that um, while Finch was only there for a year and, and while things have gotten a little stricter since, you know, a lot of the free flowing stuff they run around to leverage Jokic's creativity um, was what Finch put in in the first place. So, um, you know, I don't even know if he's going to take these specific plays so much as he's going to, you know, Nick Nurse has this identity as to be to joke about it, like the mad scientist or whatever, whatever someone said on the the Zoom call today. Um, but really, we've only seen that materialize on the defensive end for the most part. And he's been pretty innovative on that side. And I think, you know, not that Nate Bjorkren and Sergio Scariolo aren't good offensive coaches, but, um, you know, Finch, like you said, is another set of eyes and a set of eyes who has worked with a number of different star profile or star prototypes that um, need the ball and command attention in different ways. And he's helped... Uh, with all of those guys. So I, I think that that can only be encouraging for Siakam. Um, and I look forward to writing a lot about the Siakam-Lowry pick and roll that I was basically <laughs> yelling for more of last year and only ever got late in games. It's, so. it's really irritating that uh, Nurse and Finch spent, what, like 25, 30 years in England between them. And I don't know about you, I can't sense, like, I can't hear any semblance of an accent for either of them, whereas Brett Brown, like, definitely had some Aussie in him. Yeah, I don't know what the case is there. Hmm. I mean, they've both been back for a while, so maybe it was yeah. there and it's gone. Uh, I'll ask them next time. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a worthwhile, um, worthwhile trading cap question. Yeah. Why don't you speak British? Why don't you... Speak... I expected you to sound like Austin Powers. Speak American! Uh, um, yeah. So beyond Siakam, and again, we could go through every player on the roster, and I, and I don't want to bog you down with all that, but I guess, um, 
I mean, let's kind of do that. Let's. Uh, <laughs> is there a guy? Let's pop other... it down, baby. Yeah. Well, we talked about the centers a lot yeah. last week, and Aaron Baines and Alex Lana and Chris Boucher, and how that might shift things. And I think we agreed that, you know, with Baines, you don't have to actually shift a lot structurally on either end of the floor because while he's not Marc Gasol, you know, he does similar things and is comfortable in similar positions. Now, Alex Len and Chris Boucher are different than Serge Ibaka. They're they're more natural rim runner types or, or lob threat types. Um, and that requires some tweaking in the second unit. But you're also talking about your second unit centers there. Um, I guess what I'm curious about is if we assume the Raptors are going to tweak their offense, whether that's because Finch is coming in, whether that's because Siakam grows, whether, you know, Nurse just wants to change things up, or because, you know, they were a average to slightly below average uh, half-court offense last year, who else could you see that benefiting? Like, I, I think Siakam's the focus because he's going to be the highest usage guy. Do you see those moves potentially opening up more in the pick and roll for Fred Van Vliet? Do you see them getting Kyle Lowry some more off-ball looks? Does OG Ananobi's usage tick up as a matter of game plan rather than, you know, you and I talked a lot last year about how OG's field goal attempts were almost a, a bellwether for how the offense was moving because the ball only finds his its way to him when the ball is moving around well and the offense is creating breakdowns elsewhere. Um, you know, is there room for him to grow within that? Who else are you looking for uh, to benefit from kind of an offensive reimagining. Yeah, I think OG would be the first guy. And I, I'm like not even sure if that's the offensive reimagining or if it's just simply a matter of it being time for that to happen. Uh, to, well, I guess maybe if you're the Raptors, you argue that his fifth year is the time for it to happen so you don't <laughs> run the risk of him uh, increasing his value. Um, but uh, it's, you know, I, I don't think that's how they operate. Uh, in fact, I mean, I'm you know, 98% sure that's not how they operate. Uh, and I would anticipate OGs, you know, trending toward a, a sort of an average usage player uh, and, and certainly given a, a lot of runway early in the season to do more because he certainly showed signs of that in the bubble. Uh, and I do think, like, you're going to see Fred with the ball in his hands some more. Um, I, I think, uh, and today... And I'm not sure how much his – I don't know what you took about from Nick Nurse's comments on Norm Powell today. Like I – it's tough for me to envision a more like Norm-friendly role than Norm had last year. Uh, yeah, like, like so, here's all the touches you want in the second unit. Yeah, like I, I – sorry, I, I, Nick Nurse basically said he was going to give – more freedom to to norm that, that that's what i sort of took it to mean but i i can't think about how practical how, how that practically practically would take course because last year seemed sort of max freedom for norm but uh it sounds like he's going to be given a lot more of that um or at least the same amount if, if there's no way to get more of that um so i think those are the two guys and i think we're just going to move toward getting fred more pick and roll opportunities because this is the guy who's going to be here long term and who's going to be operating that and taking over that mantle more and more from Kyle Lowry. And uh, you certainly need him to become a more creative finisher around the rim or a more reliable finisher. And, and like we think of this guy as a veteran and he is, but he certainly played, you know, spent a lot of his early years playing 
either off the ball or as much more of a facilitating point guard. And so I think we'll see more of that. Um, and then finally, and I'll throw it back to you here, the eighth man, eighth man comments today. Uh, that's something I, I want to dive into maybe next week. Uh, the Terrence Davis situation certainly complicates it. Like for me, he would be the, if he were not facing the, you know, the, the seven charges he's facing, he would be the obvious candidate to run with that eighth man role. But that would, uh, that's an interesting one because there is no, and, and, you know, maybe Nick Nurse feels differently with Patrick McCaw, but to me, there's no leader in the clubhouse there. And there's many from Davis to Matt Thomas to Patrick McCaw to, who knows, DeAndre Bembry. There, there's lots of different options and ways that conversation can go. Yeah, and I would say no one's the leader in the clubhouse because that's not what that term means. Um, um, sorry. The leader in the clubhouse is the person who's leading and is done. No. You're the leader in, you're the leader in the clubhouse of being pedantic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right. Yeah, the eighth man, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Will Lou asked, him, asked Nurse about uh, Matt Thomas and a bigger role for him, and, and Nick was kind of like, yeah, I love the offense, but it's got to be there on defense. I think that's what the Raptors are going to run into is a lot of these options are – not one-way options, but are much more valuable on yeah. one end of the floor than the other. Like, McCaw and Bembry are your defense guys. And I'm personally of the opinion that Bembry is a bigger, better McCaw. But Nick Nurse is not of that opinion, I'm sure. So, um, and then you have Stanley Johnson, who's, you know, I guess if you really need a bucket in this. Like, if you really need a contested mid-range pull-up. Um for some reason, something's gone terribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't think that, like, I think eighth man is a step too far too soon for O'Shea or Paul Watson, at least to run with in anything more than a, like, rotating eighth man, role, yeah. which is what Nurse said he wants to avoid. Uh, so I guess that's, let me interrupt for a second. I guess that's where I'm interested. Were you, like, surprised that he seen, and we'll see what actually happens, and of course injuries will happen, but were you surprised he expressed um, a desire to have a consistent eighth man role? Whereas last year, uh, I think it sort of ended up being, well, first of all, they weren't healthy, but Davis like had slid into the most consistent role there. But it certainly went from you know him to Rondé to Matt Thomas at times. Like there, there was no cutout eighth guy there was seven guys and that a huge and that a big drop off in terms of consistency of trust if not minutes yeah i mean i'm 
I'm a little surprised just in that I don't think it's realistic early in the year. I think there are too many new pieces and too many question marks, um, especially when you factor in uh, McCaw not maybe not being 100% yet still coming off that uh, that late season knee <sighs> surgery. Um, and, you know, like were this a full offseason and training camp, maybe I'd be talking Malachi Flynn in that spot. I had him as kind of the ninth, tenth guy when I when I drew out the rotation. But even that was with a bit of a caveat that, hey, maybe this is a later in the season thing. Now, am I surprised that they that that's a goal of Nick Nurse's? No, because we're coming from two playoff runs in a row where he's basically had to shorten his rotation to anywhere from six and a half to seven and a half guys because there just weren't enough people that he trusted and and while it's very valuable over 72 games to have Rondé and uh, Terrence Davis and Matt Thomas and, and whoever else that you can throw in in those spots um you know, if by the end of the regular season you are still throwing them in randomly and playing the matchups and going with the hot hand, you know, that probably suggests it, it probably suggests more that you don't trust them in a playoff series than, oh, I have all these options in a playoff series. So, um, yeah, I, I, I understand it. I don't know how realistic it is in the first, you know, little bit of the season where uh, a lot of these options could either be. Uh, still working their way back from injury or still getting acclimated or on administrative leave from the NBA or any number of other things. So uh, I don't you know. know what's, you know uh, what's great about this is, is you've got like the returning Raptors uh, and we know that a lot of like the Raptors, Pascal Siakam talked about it in his first availability, were like preparing for the, you know, Martin Luther King Day type start that we had been hearing about. Uh, And so I don't think anybody's disappointed to get back to, like, real game play. Like, that's the fun part of being an NBA player uh, is playing in the games. But, you know, they were probably probably could have talked themselves into a longer offseason. And then you've got, like, Aaron Baines and DeAndre Bembry, who haven't played a real game since... March or whatever. Uh, I think Baines missed the bubble, I believe. I think he was injured for it, uh, unless I'm making that up. Baines? He had COVID. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, So you've got those two guys who haven't played a game in nine months that are probably like, what does basketball feel like? (laughs) Um, So you got a nice blend of, of, of things going in here. And that's not taken into account uh, the likes of Malachi Flynn and and Jalen Harris, who are probably buzzing at the thought of a exhibition game in Charlotte in front of, I'm guessing, no fans. I don't know what their policy is, but I, I, I have they said what they're doing for preseason games in terms of fans? Or is it... Or uh, is they it, have not yet, no. Well, that seems like it should be uh, decided. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's just an interesting thing to follow, because I, I do wonder um, if... The guys who logged heavy minutes, uh, you know, Lowry, Siakam, Van Vliet, certainly at the top of that list, are given a more gradual push uh, to the start of the season than they were, uh, than they normally are. But we sort of thought that last year coming off a title and then (laughs) Nick Nurse had like a seven bad rotation to start the year. So uh, I'm not predicting that. I'm just, you know, I'm monitoring it. I'm curious about it. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. I guess, um, so the preseason could open, not could, will open on Saturday. <laughs> well, let's, uh, uh, in 2020, everything is conditional. <laughs> the, the, 
the preseason is scheduled to begin on Saturday. Yes. Um, okay. So what are you what are you looking for in those games? <sighs> like, is there anything like like I know I know you don't care quite as much about like the Utah <laughs> Alize part of yeah. the roster as I do, and I I don't know that. I guess the better question is if you're Nick Nurse and you only have three preseason games to get guys ready and you've had this short training camp, yes, you need to make decisions on the back end of the roster and those decisions impact the G League and stuff like that. But like if you're Nick Nurse, do you care or is your priority in these three games? Like I know he gave lip service to it, but is your priority not? getting your main guys up to speed and figuring out things like eighth and ninth man. Yeah. I wonder, like, I wonder if like the focus isn't between that, like, you know, end of the roster G league minutia and like the top three guys, top four guys who basically know what they're going to be. So I guess like the guy I'm most interested in is OG just from, uh, to the extent that he's playing with the starters what does that look like? How much has his role increased uh, and changed? Uh, that's sort of the most interesting thing to me. And then, like, going on from there, I think that those guys on the periphery of the rotation become the most interesting uh, because I think that's an open competition. Uh, and I think it's, you know, we can talk about the backup center. We're, we did talk about it, and I think... Basically, that will come down more to matchups than anything, the Boucher-Lynn question. Um, but I think that, you know, the backup wing minutes behind Norm, I think that's very much a going concern and something that Nick Nurse is going to have to use these games to judge. Like, I, I don't think he can necessarily afford to use anything but like maybe the fourth quarters of these exhibition games as a who's gonna you know stick with as the 15th man and who's gonna you know be in the developmental raptors 905 slash whatever system i I think most of it is going to be spent on like guys 5 through 12 or 5 through 13 and so that's where my focus is going to be kind of yeah, I think that makes sense, and I think that that's the most practical use of the time. And obviously, like, you know, Ellenson and, and Brissett and Watson, those guys are practicing a little more and a little harder than Lowry and Van Vliet and Siakam anyway. So maybe that's the window into those guys. Um, it's also just, yeah, if you're talking about the leverage of these decisions, it's it's weird because the decisions on the back end of the roster and who makes a team are more immediate but they are, whereas, you know, rotation decisions you can tweak as you go along, but also, you know, especially in this year's environment where we don't know what the G League is going to look like and you need to have depth now more than ever just in case, you know, those other, the actual on-roster decisions rather than roster bubble decisions are much higher leverage. So, um, you know, it's it's tough. It's not a it's not an ideal place for any team to be trying to do a two week training camp with a three game preseason uh, after a short off season. It's uh, shocker. None of this is ideal. So, um, I guess where we go from here, then Eric is Toronto game three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Siakam, Lowry, Van Vliet, Powell, OG, and Boucher and Baines are the guys that are pretty much locked in you'd figure right yeah i mean 
we can quibble about Boucher. I, I still think he's going to have to earn it. Like he's he's if he looks awful in training sure. camp, I think there's room for him to lose that or at least lose it quickly at the start of the season. Uh, and the Raptors use smaller lineups and use Alex Len a bit more. But mm-hmm. yes, I would say he is right now the de facto seventh man. All right. So yeah, when I drew up the rotation, I had him in there. I had Alex Len in there as well because I had Boucher playing a little bit more um, power forward to kind of soak up some of those backup wing yeah. minutes. Um, because weirdly, despite how the offseason went, they suddenly seem a little deeper at either pole of the position spectrum with almost nobody in between, um, which is where you get into, you know, is it McCaw, is it Flynn, is it Bembry, is it Davis, is it Thomas? Um, there's a lot of ways it could go. And it's uh, it's always so interesting philosophically where, like, we know that not having bad players is the way to establish a floor and having the best players is a way to establish a season. See and that. the Raptors over the last eight years have very much tried to do both. Uh, and that's really going to be tested this year because the, you know, toward the very top, they're a little thinner than they have been, but they also might have, you know, 15 guys on the roster who could make a case for bench minutes on a, on a different team. So um, interesting spot well, to be on. Yeah, uh, I would say you know your twenty-five man roster isn't all that impressive, but your forty man's deep. <laughs> I would say it's not a bad year to be deep. Uh, yeah. Just in, like, I mean, no year is bad to be deep, but this season figures to have more bumps than usual. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe not compared to the Raptor season last year because it was just comical in terms of the important man games they lost but you know it's not unreasonable to expect a lot of teams to be dealing with that uh this year the raptors included uh and they certainly based on what the league said this week in terms of resting players uh they will be given more leeway to work in rest or you know non-load management, load management. Uh, So that's, while, you know, as much role specificity and uh, certainty as you'd like, you do have to remain flexible to a large extent. And uh, luckily for the Raptors, that's sort of Nick Nurse's natural resting place. So they should be fine from there. Who knew that all the disrespect the Raptors get in terms of fewer national TV games is actually the league putting the fix in for the Raptors because there's fewer games that they're not allowed to rest players for? Uh, well, yes. Galaxy Brew. Yeah, no, you've, you've really Brand figured stuff. that one out. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, last one for you, Eric, before uh, we wrap up and get ready for the preseason here. You addressed this in a mailbag already over the weekend, but for anyone who didn't check that out, uh, first of all, do so. There's are nice words about me in there um, because, uh, you know, Eric's on the take. Uh, <laughs> but the idea of trading Kyle Lowry, Eric, and we've this has come up a number of times on this podcast over the last year or so, maybe even two years. Um, you know, I'm of the practical mind that it's just really hard to find a trade partner who could match his 30 million salary close enough without sending back bad money for 2021 while also giving you the assets that would be required for you to part with Kyle Lowry. Um, How do you feel about it? I know your take on it is probably more um, like 
big picture what he means to the franchise and why you can or can't do that um so rehash i guess uh what your mailbag answer was uh could lowry get dealt this year he can um and again like there were like think even what the raptors did in terms of signing baines and boucher to those bigger contracts uh without the second guaranteed season. There are a few teams that do that, and that allows you to make trades. So while I still don't think there are a ton of natural trade partners out there for the Raptors, and when you get to a contract like Kyle Lowry's, it becomes more and more complicated and more and more likely you have to work in a a third team in there. So, but having said that, there are more teams that are maybe in position to do that. Uh, you know, a guy with Lowry's, what he what Lowry means to the Raptors, there is an extra cost that's not on the floor that's just mean, he means more to the Raptors than what he just produces. So I, I'd still bet against it happening. I think it becomes, it, you know, you really have to, I think they're what I, what I think what I'm trying to say is they have to I don't think they're going to have the directional clarity that is necessary to part with Kyle Lowry failing like a really really good offer that is sort of like that multiple first round pick type offer that I don't think is going to come for a 34, 35 year old point guard who's entering unrestricted free agency. Like sure. They, you know, the Pelicans got it for drew holiday, but a he's younger and B they're in very specific circumstances of trying to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee that, you know, the market for that the market should not be determined by that trade because this, you know, the context is, is required. Um, so overall, I would be surprised if Lowry is dealt, but you know, we're not guaranteed a super teamless league for that long. And that, you know, that doesn't mean that the league becomes uncompetitive all of a sudden, but even if the Lakers are the clear favorite, I don't think there's a clear favorite in the way that, you know, the Heat were when LeBron, Wade, and Bosch were in their primes, or the Warriors were when Kevin Durant went there. And therefore, there are more teams that can talk themselves into the types of arms races we've seen in the Eastern Conference, especially, uh, you know, in, in the trade deadline of 2019 or, or what happened in the offseason of 2019. So, the conditions could become like right for a move, but failing that, failing that sort of arms race, I think it's more likely than not that he doesn't go anywhere. That was very convoluted, I realize, but uh, you know, it, it's tough to give the whole picture because it's pretty damn complicated, I would say, uh, and that also goes to the Raptors' position as trying to keep that cap room, um, which would necessitate. Uh, you know, renouncing the rights on, on uh, or renouncing Kyle Lowry's bird rights, which would make what his next contract could be with the Raptors if he were to stay substantially lower than, you know, the $43 million cap hold he'll have in, uh, he'll have in uh, next summer as it currently stands. All right. Quick sub question. 
Uh, Seven-time All-Star Kyle Lowry, yes or no? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm going with it. Let's do it. Uh, I'm with uh, you. Like, it's, uh, I think betting on inertia here is... the, And that's not to say Kyle doesn't deserve it. Like, Nick Nurse said that last year was Kyle's best, and while I don't necessarily agree, I take his point, and he was very deserving of the spot, and... I think the Raptors are a team that should likely continue to outperform expectations, and I think Kyle Lowry will get a lot of credit for that, and I think he'll probably deserve a lot of credit for that, too. Yeah, he's great. Um, All right, Eric, uh, this is kind of part two of our our training camp podcast spread out over um, the two weeks of of weird training camp. Uh, The next time we talk, there will have been preseason games for us to analyze, so thankfully uh, we'll have some more tangible stuff to, to kind of break down rather than just the theoretical. Now, um, having said that, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. This is uh, this is a great podcast work, Blake. This is... Uh, help me out here, Eric. Uh, well, hopefully this can be edited out. Uh, you're just... <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I just... I sound like an idiot, but I forgot what... I had one more point to make before we close, well, and I forget what it is. Well, were you talking about potentially not being on the podcast next week? Because that's where I thought uh, you were going. Yeah, I'm, I might not be on the podcast next week, but there will yes. be basketball to talk about. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is, in the past, I have thrown random uh, statistical over-unders at you on our official season preview podcast, which uh, if I'm not on... If I'm on... Before the season starts, uh, I will do that again, Eric. So get ready for over-unders that I'll make up as I go. Uh, That's what I was trying to yeah, tease. I, or if you're not, I will just toss them at somebody else. Steal sure. steal your gimmick. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, uh, who's who notably stole somebody's gimmick? Uh, oh, Damien Sandow's the big one, where he was just doing the gimmick uh, pretending. But... Yeah. That's that's, that's neither here nor there. Were you a fan of Ken, Kenny Omega's work on Impact? No. Okay. I'm not a fan of that whole storyline. Okay. Yeah. Disappointing. All right, guys. Uh, we will talk to you next week with actual preseason games. Again, theathletic.com slash we the six if you're interested in checking out our written work as well. Eric, thanks so much, buddy. Blake, keep it cool. See ya. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.